Um, now, as we start uh, to open the Word of God, we, we've been in this series just talking about um, who God actually is. Hallowed be your name. We're talking about this idea that God is, God is um, big, He's great, um, He's present, He's personal, all these things. And we've been exploring first God the Father, uh, then God the Son, and then this week, God the Holy Spirit. I'm really excited to do this with you. But before we jump into opening up Scripture to talk about these things, I want to start by just a little check-in, okay? A little check-in and just see how we're doing here. How are you guys feeling about Harry, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle? How do we feel about them right now? Because um, here's the thing. They're, they're like amazing, right? Just like perfect couple, and they serve their country so well, and they've, they've really been serving the world. And it's just so sad what the royal family has done to them and kind of turning on them, throwing them to the wolves of the press and, and making them like go into hiding and all that stuff. It's rough, right? What do you guys think? Nah, nah. Or, or like Prince and Harry are, or Prince Harry and Meghan are like um, me- media monsters, right? They just want the fame, and they're just like throwing the royal family under the bus to just try to get something out of that, right? Right? Which one is it, right? So um, I like them. I'm, I'm, I'm Team Harry and Meghan for sure. Um, I know plenty about the whole thing, and I can tell you. Um, but the reason I bring it up is I feel like when it you can have the same set of facts, right? And depending on which interview you watch or which way you, you construe the facts, you, they're either like amazing or they're awful, right? And the same thing for the royal family and whatever else, right? I, I feel like often God either gets like the absolute best PR or he gets the absolute worst PR. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you, like is, is God like vindictive and judgmental and restrictive or is he beautiful and amazing and inviting, you know? Which is it? And, and you like walk through life and we're talking about God one way or the other. And, and um, most of us are probably here because we kind of are at least compelled by the idea that God is loving and good and gracious. Um, and so most of us have come to that realization and, and, and um, seen that. Many of us, though, have been in a spot in our lives. Uh, maybe we're there now or maybe we're in the past where, uh, man, God, the idea of God was more odious than that and more problematic than that. And, the, and it takes this um, reorientation to who God is. And so this whole series, the point is there's this invitation to seeing this beautiful side of who God is. Yes, we've talked about it. God um, has wrath. God is a judge. Uh, um, he is the judge of all, uh, all the world. He's a God of justice. All these things are true. And yet what we've been seeing so far is we talked about God the Father and we talked about God the Son, Jesus Christ. Um, what we're seeing is a God that does have all the power and that does have all the wisdom and does have all the answers and, and makes the final calls on everything and yet comes to us in love and pursues us. And this morning as we talk about the Holy Spirit, it's, it's that same dynamic but like intensified to a crazy extent. God the Holy Spirit I think shows us something so unique about who God is and his heart and his posture towards us that is so compelling and so beautiful. And so I want to jump straight into it. Um, Genesis 1, we start the whole Bible. And we talked about, so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The idea is there was a time when nothing existed, but somehow there's God. And he is, he is we talked about it a couple weeks ago, he is transcendent, he's huge, he's massive, he has all power, he's self-sufficient, he doesn't need anybody or anything else, and so there's this big God that just exists, and that's like ultimate reality. It's hard to think about, but it's true. The Bible starts this way. Last week, Nathan walked us through John 1, and John 1 echoes this verse and talks about how um, the Son, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so he's reframing this concept of in the beginning was God, he's reminding us and that, that God was the Word as well, who is Jesus Christ. And so there's this sense now of 
um, God the Father and God the Son. Somehow eternally existing. Somehow one God, but somehow two, right? And they're existing together. And everything that was created, it, it says, John tells us, was created through the Word, through Jesus Christ. And so the Trinity, we're just diving straight into this tough concept of this Trinity, but he is ultimate reality. He's always been there. And look at what we see in Genesis 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Trinity is there literally from the beginning of a God who is creating. And meanwhile, as God's creating, here's the Spirit of God, the most mysterious member of a very mysterious Trinity. And he is hovering over the face of the waters. The, the, the word for hovering, it kind of denotes like a, um, a, a bird flapping its wings. I think like a hummingbird, just kind of fluttering, hovering over the whole thing. It can even imply like brooding, like a, a, a bird would brood over its eggs or incubating even. And, and the whole idea, like what, however we take any of this, the whole point is here's God creating the world. And when God's creating the world, what's the spirit of God doing? He's moving. He's active. He's, he's um, involved in the whole thing. There's this mysterious nature to the Spirit of God. And I want to say as I get going here, um, as I talk about the Spirit, um, I'm going I'm to use the pronoun he for the Spirit. And this is a little tricky. Um, we get into the habit in theology sometimes of referring to the Spirit as an it, and it's, um, it's tricky, okay? So um, there's masculine pronouns, he, there's feminine pronouns, she, and then there's neuter pronouns, it. When the Spirit of God is mentioned, typically it uses the neuter pronouns, it which I think is an indication that the Spirit doesn't have uh, a gender. It's not like the Spirit is a dude, okay? Um, so when I say um, the Holy Spirit and I refer to him as he, what I'm trying to do is not indicate, okay, yeah, this is a male um, being, but what I'm trying to say is he is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. When we say it about the Spirit, um, it gives the sense of like the force in Star Wars, you know? The force be with you, and it's, it's passive, but it's everywhere. And it, um, but no, the Spirit of God, like it— so throughout all of church history, they've been using the word he, the pronoun he, to refer to the spirit because they want us to know, um, sure, not necessarily male, but like definitely a person, someone that we can relate to, someone that thinks and, and has their own being and their own mind and their own will, um, and that's super, person, uh, super important. It's actually um, a little bit similar to God the Father. There's a lot of male imagery for God the Father, um, but there are times where there's uh, female imagery used for God, um, mothering kinds of things, uh, that sort of a thing. And so it's like, you know, Jesus is easy, okay? He was definitely a male human being on this earth. Um, God the Father, you know, he doesn't have a body. So like, how does that work? I don't know, but the Bible says he a bunch, church histories use he a bunch. All we're trying to emphasize, the main thing is um, a person, someone that we can relate to, someone that invites us into a relationship with them. And that's what we're talking about with the Spirit. When we think of the Spirit, I want this picture of the Spirit hovering over the waters, over the, the business, the work of creation, I want that picture to be dominant for us because the Spirit is the one that gives life. He's the one that's actively, active in creation. Um, the, the word for Spirit, in, in Hebrew it's ruach, in, in Greek it's uh, pneuma. In both cases, in both languages, the word means uh, breath or wind or Spirit. In both cases, breath or wind. So think of the breath of God blowing out, like breathing life into uh, the first man and the first woman. Think of the wind of God like moving, creating motion, blowing around. Think of the Spirit of God. This is what we're dealing with. Now, we see the Spirit from the very beginning. I want to skip ahead a lot of Old Testament stuff. The Spirit is very active in the Old Testament. You can see plenty of him. But I want to skip ahead to Ezekiel 36. So if you, if you want to turn your Bible to Ezekiel 36, you can. I'll put it on the screen. But in Ezekiel... 
And what we have is there's um, God's people. They've been called. They've been uh, taken to the promised land. They're his people. They belong to him. They've had this kingdom, but they just keep going away from God and away from God and away from God. And finally, they're carried, they're, they're, they're being ready here in Ezekiel to be carried off into exile, punished for their sins, separated from the presence of God that was in the temple amongst them. And they basically, they've reached a dead end. They're, they're like, they are dead as a people because they've rejected their God. And so God's like, okay, if that's what you want, here you go. And God's solution, when he comes back to his people, with God's solution, he's going to speak words of hope to, um, to Israel. And when he speaks these words of hope, we might think, okay, he's going, to speak, he's going to remind them of the law. You guys have been um, disobeying what I've been saying, so I'm going to remind you of the law. I'm going to post it clearly so that you know this is what I want you to do. But that's not how God addresses the dead end that Israel found themselves in. We might think he would bring in like a better ruler, a better king, someone that can really cast a vision and get everybody on board and like, hey, guys, we're going to do this. We're going to go together. This is where we're headed. But God doesn't send that person. He sort of does in Jesus, but that's, you'll see the point that I'm trying to make. Um, what he does is this. He sends the Spirit, and this is what it looks like. In Ezekiel 36, starting verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What God is saying to his people through Ezekiel is through their sin, through their rejection of God, they had defiled themselves. They were, they were ritualistically unclean. And so what God is saying is, look, I'm not going to just send you better rules. I'm not going to just send you better leaders. What I'm going to do is I'm going to come, and first of all, I'm going to deal with your uncleanness, and I'm going to take this water, clean water, and through water sprinkling, I'm going to purify you, like cleanse you, heal you in a sense, make you clean again. And I'm going to come, and I'm going to take your heart, because your heart is just a lump of stone, and that's not working for anybody. Taking your heart out, I'm giving you a heart of flesh. I'm taking your dead spirit. I'm giving you my spirit. So when God comes to his people that have reached a dead end, his solution for them is new life. It's, it's, a, it's a new heart. It's, a, it's his spirit inside them. The problem is not outside of them and what they're unable to do externally. The problem is, at the very core, your heart is not functioning in the way it needs to. And so I'm going to wash you clean with, with cleansing water, and I'm going to put my spirit inside, and you're going to live again. This is what God tells his people, promises them. Now, they had to wait a long time, but this is remarkable. When we get into the New Testament— Paul starts talking about like this, Ephesians 2. He describes the state, this is where every one of us was and is, um, in the state where we are dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. So he's saying, he's describing the state of human beings just walking around, around apart from God, and he's saying, you're in that same dead end that Israel was. You're dead in your trespasses and sin. There's no life in you. You've got that heart of stone. But what does God do? God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved, and he raised us up with him. So this whole picture is God saying, coming to us who were dead and saying, what you, what you need, yes, you're dead. There's no hope for you. It's all over. There's a dead end. This is the end, right? But God doesn't like endings like that. God doesn't care that they're dead. He comes in and he says to us, I love you. I'm rich in mercy. I have all this hope and grace. And he comes into that situation and he speaks life. And he brings, like, makes them alive in Christ. Look at how Paul describes it in Romans 8. He says this in Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I can't even say how powerful this statement is. Jesus, Paul, Paul the, dis- the disciples are there with Jesus. They live their lives with Jesus, and they see Jesus, like, bringing new life to the people around them. He's healing the sick. He's, he's casting out demons. He's giving people their lives back in all these ways. He's inviting them to life in Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus, at the end of this powerful ministry, goes and he lays himself down sacrificially in love to pay for the sins of all of us. Like, that's what Jesus does. And he's there, and he's dead, and he's in the tomb. He has spent himself sacrificially for, on our behalf. And then what Paul is saying happened is the Spirit of God came and he made Jesus alive. Like that's resurrection power. The story had ended, he was dead, and the Spirit came and made him alive. And this is the most powerful force in the universe because it changes everything, defeats death once for all, gives new life to Jesus. And Paul here is saying, if, if, Jesus, if, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, that's the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And so he is going to come to our mortal bodies, and he's going to resurrect us. He's going to give new life to our new bodies. That's what Paul is saying about us. So like you sitting here right now, whatever you're experiencing, whatever hopes are dying in your life, whatever struggles you're having, whatever your, your physical body is doing, betraying you, or, or just getting older like we all do, like whatever is happening, Paul is saying, the same spirit that created the world, the same spirit that took Jesus and made him alive again, that same spirit is inside of you. And if he is, he is giving life to your bodies, to your souls. Like he is making us alive. This is who the spirit is. We wish, often we wish that God would work like keep everything good. Keep the bad things from happening to us. But so often what God does is he comes when the situation is the darkest, when it, has, when it is too late, right? It's beyond hope, and, and it's like this story is over. This marriage is over. This parenting relationship with over, is over. This career is over. I've ruined my life through my choices, whatever. And he comes once there's death, and he, be, he brings new life into that whole thing. It is beautiful, and it's amazing. Uh, we, we love those stories. I mean, think of like... Every, most movies are like this. Think of The Matrix. Um, Neo has to go and he has to die, and then he comes back alive again, right? Think of Frozen, one or two. Uh, they, she has to die, and then she's alive again, right? It's like, these are the stories, and I think we resonate with these stories because it's like, yes, that's it. Like, theologically, I, I recognize that as a powerful story because that is the story of the universe. That is who I am. Okay, now, Ezekiel looked ahead. Paul's, like, glancing back at this. Ezekiel looked ahead to a time when God's spirit would come to his people and would make them alive from, alive from the inside. It's a beautiful picture. I want you to look with me in John chapter 3, and we're going to stick in John for the rest of this, okay? I'm not going to jump around too much. John chapter 3, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is the teacher of Israel. Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel. So he's a Pharisee, and so his job is like, teach the law to the people of God. Like, he is a big deal, Nicodemus is. And he comes to Jesus, and Jesus is basically absolutely blowing his mind and telling him something that's different than anything Nicodemus would ever have thought or, or, or like implied or taught to the people around him. And he says this in verse 3 of John 3. Jesus answered Nicodemus, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit 
is spirit. It's easy to rag on Nicodemus here. He's like, he's such a dummy, right? Like, well, how am I going to be born again? I can't, you know. But I'm honestly, as I contemplate it, I'm team Nicodemus here. It's a good question, you know? Jesus is throwing this curveball, right? Like, um, oh, Nicodemus, yes, you're doing a great job teaching Israel. But like, here's the thing you got to know. You got to be born a second time. And Nicodemus is like, what? You know, like, what would that even mean? Jesus comes and he says, look, Nicodemus, this is what it's like. Uh, a person has to be born, he says, of water and of the Spirit. And if you're not born of water and of the Spirit, you can't be born again. Now, what does that make us think of? Born of water and the Spirit. For me, it brings me right back to Ezekiel 36. There's a promise to Israel. You're at this dead end. Your life is going nowhere. Like, you're, you as a nation are cut off. What's God going to do? He's going to come, and he's going to sprinkle cleansing water on you. And then he's going to take your heart. He's going to give you a new heart. He's going to put his spirit inside of you. Jesus coming and saying, look, here's what's going on here. The kingdom of God is here. Here's how this works. You have to be born of water and the spirit. Jesus is promising this new life that Ezekiel pointed ahead towards and said, someday this is coming. And Jesus is like, this is how it works. Water, you're cleansed, and the Spirit comes into you, and you're born again. And that idea of, like, it's so dramatic that he's saying it's like, it's like having a whole new life. It's like starting all the way over. It's like, yes, you were living your life, and you thought life was fine, but I'm telling you, it's, it's like starting over from scratch and saying, man, I've been living my life this entire time, this whole way, and, and I, I didn't realize how much I was missing. I didn't realize that life could now look like this. I've told you guys this before, but when I turned... 38, I had the privilege of realizing I needed to wear glasses. I had no idea. I had no idea. I thought I had perfect vision. I would brag about everything I could see, and I couldn't read the, the dang eye chart at the DMV. And I got glasses, you know, and they came in the mail, and I put those bad boys on, and I was like, whoa, you know? Like, I, I was living my life, and I thought nothing was wrong, and all of a sudden, I put on glasses, and wow, like, I, there's stuff in the distance. I had no idea, you know? <laughs> you guys know you can see the snow on the mountains from here? I had no idea, you know? Um, I was just living my life, and I thought, this is great. I love it. I can see everything, but the glasses. So Jesus says, um, he says in verse 3, I, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I think that's so fascinating because Jesus tells them often, the kingdom of God is near, or the kingdom of God is within you. And so he's letting them know, hey, the kingdom is here, right? And we're just going wrong along our lives like, I can't see it, you know? Like, we love our lives and we're like, there's no love in this world. There's no hope in this world. There's no grace functioning in this world. Um, and, then, and then it's like we're given this gift of glasses and all of a sudden we can see. The, the biggest thing I could notice was on trees. Like, trees were like green, you know? Like, they were just like green circular things. And I put my glasses on. I'm like, oh, yes, leaves. I had forgotten about leaves. Like, that's what leaves look like. And I can see them even from a distance. And, and so it's like, they were always there, right? But there was just something about me that was like, not able to unlock the leaves being there on that tree. I think the kingdom of God is like that. We were given this new birth. And man, we, we just come alive in a way that I, like, is impossible to explain. I mean, Jesus has to use imagery of a new birth to explain it. I can't explain it to you, but what I can say is it happens, and there's something that unlocks, and it's the Spirit of God putting a living, beating heart inside of you in a spiritual sense, and it's like all of a sudden, oh my gosh, the kingdom is all around me, right? The kingdom is within me. Like, God is working in the world all around me. Life doesn't have to be this whole, like, grind of, like, get ahead, like, do what I, like, be better than everybody else, survive, struggle, uh, achieve. Like, life doesn't have to be like that. There's a new way of living and experiencing life, and this is the gift that we're offered. And so Jesus says, born of, the, born of water, born of the Spirit, 
One of my, one of my favorite things week by week is um, our nurture ladies meet on Thursday mornings, and um, women in our church are just preaching to each other. Um, and Christy Raposa was in this week. She's talking on the beginning of Colossians and talking about how Jesus is his new source of life. And she was um, emotional and excited, and it was just so contagious. And she's talking about how in Jesus we have a new source of life, so we don't have to look at all these other um, empty wells that are around us that we've been trying to find life in. In Jesus, we have a new source of life, and it comes from the creator himself. And it just struck me how much, like, that's what the Spirit is. He has been uh, superintending the work of creation from the very beginning. He's been promised as the source of life for God's people. Jesus is saying, hey, this is how this works. Come into the kingdom. All you got to do is to have an encounter with my spirit where he makes you alive from the inside. And it's this beautiful promise. And the craziest thing is just he is here now. He invites you into that now. There's new life for you now. Many of us, most of us probably in this room have experienced that on some level. If you have, I want to remind you of the fact that that life is working in you. And if you haven't, I just want to say it's right there. All you have to do is grab onto it. It's beautiful. Jesus goes on. I'm going to skip ahead to John 14. Jesus goes on. He does this whole thing. This is now a section where Jesus is about to go back to his father, and he's spending time with his disciples, and he's saying, this is what it will look like uh, when I go. Um, And so Jesus is preparing them for what it's going to look like, and this is what he says. John 14, uh, starting in verse 14. He says, uh, sorry, no, starting in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Just pause there for a second. Jesus is saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This makes a lot of logical sense to me, okay? Um, think, of, think of like in your house, you know? Like it's one thing to say I love you. It's another thing to show that you love somebody. I saw a meme this week that said, um, married life is basically just asking where are you going every time someone gets up off the couch, you know? So just that's it. I mean, that's like life actually is if you really pay attention. It's just like, hey, where are you going, you know? And usually we ask that because it's like, can you get me something from the fridge? Oh, can you turn off that light over there? Oh, can you bring me a blanket? You know, like whatever it is, it's like you need something. And if they're going to make the effort to get up, bring that to me. Real love looks like not just saying I love you, right? But it looks like doing things of service. Like what can I get you? What can I bring to you? And so we, you know, parenting is like that. Uh, friendships are like that. Church life is like that. Um, real love is showing it to people. So this commandment, uh, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It makes a lot of sense. And if we love Jesus, we're going to do what he asks us to do, Right? The problem I have with this is that that's really, really difficult. Like, that's really, really convicting because I do think that I love Jesus, right? I do think I want to do what he says, but I am a wayward human being, and I'm exhausted so much of the time, right? And I get into these dead ends and these cul-de-sacs where things are like, I'm discouraged, and it's like, okay, yes, Jesus, I love you, but like, how? Like, how do I do the things that you're calling me to do? Guess what Jesus' answer to that is going to be? It's the Holy Spirit. Verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. So Jesus here is, um, is speaking to his people, and he's saying, actually, I'm going to go a, little, a couple more verses, actually. Um, I won't leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. So Jesus, getting ready to go, says, look, I, if you love me, do what I say, and here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to send you another helper. And I love that he says another helper. So Jesus, remember, God the Father, in all his infinite glory and his massiveness, he's the king of it all. 
Jesus is the king of it all, right? He's the king of kings. And so, like, he could be on his throne. And, and Philippians 2 talks about how he leaves the throne, like, comes down to be with us, like, um, comes down to become, like, take on flesh and dwell amongst us, like, this beautiful thing. He didn't have to do this, but Jesus says, I came not just as a king, not just as a judge, but I came as a helper to you, which is beautiful. And he says, I'm going to send you another helper. And, and so that's the Holy Spirit, this other helper that's like Jesus, that's going to continue his work of helping us. And he says the world can't see him or know him, right? The, the world like, doesn't have the glasses to see the leaves on the tree yet, so they're going through the light, but they can't recognize what the Spirit's doing. But he's saying, you're going to know him. Why? Because he's going to dwell with you. Like you'll know, so Jesus, remember, uh, is the word of God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's amazing. Jesus is the helper who is God that came to like live next, next to us, to be among us. That's incredible. And here he says, another helper's coming, and he's going to be among you. And that's like, okay, good. That's what we need. This has been awesome. Having you here, Jesus, that's what we need. But then Jesus says, and he will be in you. So think of Emmanuel. We talked about Emmanuel um, for Advent. And Emmanuel is all about God is with us. And we saw God was always with his people in the Old Testament. He was always there. And then Jesus came. And Jesus is God with us. That's, that's what he's named. It's what he, um, it's the reality that he embodies is he is there with us. And now Jesus is saying, look, and you know what's better than me being beside you is me being inside of you. And this is what the Holy Spirit is. God actually inside of you. And he's all about giving life. And he always has been about giving life. That's why he says in verse 19, because I live, you also will live. There's this gift and this offer of life. And we experience it through the Spirit of God. And it is mind-blowing. And I want to skip to John 16 because there's this crazy statement he makes there. In verse 12, he says it like this. It is, uh, let's see, uh, no, in verse 7. Yeah, it was way off. Verse 7. Nevertheless, I, will, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Okay, and pause there. If I was a disciple and I was with Jesus and we were hanging out and I was seeing him heal people and cast out demons and all these kinds of things, raise people from the dead, things that the disciples had, had seen, there's no way I would believe anything that Jesus said after this, Right? It's better for you for me to go away. That sounds like, like the girl that broke up with you in high school, and she says, like, this is better. This is for the best. And you're like, there is no possible way. <clears throat> We're supposed to be married and live together forever, you know? Jesus is saying, it's but to your advantage that I go away. What could possibly be better than God beside me? And he answers it. Why? Because if I do not go away, the helper won't come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So what is better than having God beside us? It's having God within us. And, and this just shows, I mean, we saw with the Father. Yes, he is just. Yes, he is the judge. Yes, he is the one that like decides right and wrong and all these kinds of things. But also we saw he's described in Isaiah 40 as a shepherd to his people that comes and gathers us up. He's described in the prodigal, uh, the parable of the prodigal son as the father that runs out to meet us, goes out of his way to gather us in and to collect us. That's who God the Father is. His posture is towards us and his, his direction is towards us. It's beautiful. Jesus, his posture is, he is the king, but he also is for us, and he's the servant um, of all. And he's this beautiful picture of a God that sacrifices himself in love because he wants to be with us. And the spirit now we're seeing is, yes, God, yes, glorious, all about lifting him up, but also he is the one that comes to just live inside of us and to bring that new life and that new heart and everything in us that tends towards death and decay and falling apart. The spirit just comes and makes us alive. 
And man, we keep dying and we keep choosing wrong and we keep getting beaten down by the world, by religious people, by our own self and expectations. Um, we go through these seasons of darkness and yet the Spirit of God is always there and he is speaking words of life. He is, we can picture him like the Spirit hovering over the waters, right? Just brooding over us, like bring life, bring life. Incubate the life that's inside of you. Like the breath of God that gets blown into humanity as they're created, he's there to breathe life into us. And it's so good and it's so beautiful. He goes on to say um, in verse 16, or it's in verse 12 here, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, Whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine, and he will declare it to you. This picture he's giving us here is the Spirit of God that's just going to continue his work. And the disciples spent this time with Jesus. When we read the Bible, we get to spend this time with Jesus. But he's saying the Spirit's going to come, and he's just going to take those things that I've said and those things that I've done, and he's going to keep reminding you of those things. He's going to keep teaching you about him. He's going to be your guide ongoing, your helper, your comforter ongoing. It, 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 the Spirit is God with us in the most profound sense, in, in a way that we're going to spend the rest of our lives just unpacking and understanding what that means more and more and more. You go from here, and you see in the book of Acts, the Spirit of God comes down to these disciples who were super weak and confused and frail in the Gospels, and you see the Spirit of God come, and these, these guys are um, healing the sick, they're raising the dead, they're speaking languages they don't know. They're, like, it's crazy what the Spirit of God does through these men. You move on to like 1 Corinthians, and Paul's talking about how um, the Spirit of God comes into every single one of us as believers, and he comes and he like makes us alive in ways that we don't even understand, right? Gives us these supernatural abilities to maybe speak truth or to serve each other or to, to work in love towards people or maybe even to heal the sick. Like the Spirit of God, he's saying, like literally for all of us still today, the Spirit of God is working. God has always been working. Jesus has always been working. The Spirit of God has always been working, and he's working still. And the invitation is experience the life of God that he's offering, that he's inviting us into. It's, it's amazing. It's so much more than we deserve. I want to step back, just a half step, back to John chapter 3. And there's another statement that we didn't, we didn't look at a minute ago. This is how Jesus describes to Nicodemus. This is, okay, the new birth, you become alive in Jesus. What's that like? And Jesus tries to describe it in verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus is saying the Spirit is like the wind. Remember, the word Spirit means breath or wind or Spirit. And he's saying that the Spirit is like the wind. The wind is... Um, and we know it, right? Like the, the wind creates a lot of movement. Sometimes it creates a lot of damage. You can experience the wind. Sometimes it's just what you need on a hot day and it refreshes you. Sometimes it makes you uh, frozen and terrified, right? But the, the, the wind, you don't see it. You can't predict it. You can't control it. But the wind just comes where it wants. And he's saying, this is what it's like for someone to be born of the Spirit. Is It's like God himself in this uncontrollable way breaking into your life. At times that you can't control and predict, and that's super frustrating. For me, it's really frustrating. I would like to have a, a discipline and a strategy and a path for like, this is how I will grow in the Lord. This is how I will overcome the sin issues that I continue to wrestle with. This is how I'm going to be able to really help people connect with God. And I'd love to have that path, but God, or Jesus is saying, the Spirit's like the wind. And he just comes and he goes and he, he blows all around. And he creates this motion and this movement. And you can definitely feel it. It is powerful. 
But he's saying the Spirit is just like that wind. And he comes into our life when we're not ready for him. Um, he's not always there when we, in, in the way that we want him to be, but he is always there, and he's always working, and he's all, always about giving life. The, the Bible's a, a book of death. Starting at Genesis 3, there's death on every page of the Bible. But the B- Bible is also a book of life where God just continues to bring life again and again and again. And that is possible now. It's here for us now. So we've talked about the Trinity, each member. I assume you all perfectly understand the concept of the Trinity and each member. I want to end here. I was just reading in my, my regular Bible reading. I was reading in the book of Zechariah. And it says this at the end. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, looking into the future, in those days, ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. And I just couldn't move past that because it's this beautiful picture of people in the world around looking at the people of God, the Jews who are God's people, and they're seeing something. He's saying the day is going to come when they're going to see something in you. And what are they going to see in you? They're going to see that your God is with you, and they're going to grab hold and say, like, that's what I need. That is compelling. That's what I want. And I'm just telling you, man, we could be We could be, we are invited to be, we are promised and given the resources to be a group of people that's like this. We're like, man, we are people that are close to our God. Why? Not because we figured it out, not because we're amazing, but why? We can do this because God himself desires it. He desires to be with us. He invites us constantly. He comes running to us. The moment we turn towards him, he comes running towards us. And the spirit of God is just blowing all around. And so there's every opportunity for us to be these kind of people that when the world looks at us, they're like, man, there's something here. I want to be with you because I can see that you are with God. And I don't say that as a guilt trip. I don't say that. There's many people in here that you... You kind of know what it's like to be close to God, but you're in this desert of feeling separated from him. So I'm not saying it like a guilt trip, but I'm saying it like an invitation. There's something about the Spirit of God that he blows around like the wind. And what I want for us as a family is day in, day out, regardless of what our sermon series is on, regardless of what's happening in the world, is we are simply following the wind of the Spirit. And he's blowing, and, and we're affected by the, the movement of his wind, the movement of his breath, the life that he gives, um, that is so deeply what I want. It means being grounded in this knowledge of God that we get, but it means more than that because it's also saying, okay, Lord, you as the Spirit of God are here and you're inside of me, and what do you want from, from, from me? How would you lead me? Could I be open to that? So to that end, uh, I want to invite us to take some time to reflection. So Chelsea um, Sanchin is going to come up, and she's going to lead us in... Um, just processing all of this. She's going to give us an invitation to process this and experience that and, and do some business with the Lord. So thank you, Chelsea, for guiding us in that.